We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. by Steve with Fidelium coming at you with another book review this time on uh, J Father James Mc I should have asked you how to pronounce his last name McElhorn 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 rooting out your hidden faults uh, the how the particular examination of conscious conquers sin and we've got Kristen Van Uden from Sophia Press on to talk about because Father just can't make it he's uh, uh, six feet under I guess that would be the optimal way to say right. it so <laughs> he hasn't he don't have the time to come in right now so Kristen is in charge of this uh for all those deceased uh, authors to explain this book to us so welcome Kristen first time to the program thank you for coming on thank you Steve it's great to be here with you so first off why did you guys how'd you guys find the book and two softball question why did you guys <laughs> figure it was a good one to republish yeah, so Father McElhone, see now I'm even getting it wrong, um, published this originally back in, let's see, 1952. And so this is kind of a tried and true methodology used primarily actually among religious communities. So that's what it was written for. It was an examination of conscience um, for his, um, he was a Holy Cross father. So he worked at Notre Dame College in um, Indiana and was in charge of some of the postulants there. So it was uh, written and then we readapted it for more of a lay audience. Um, so perfect timing in Lent, especially to, of course, conquer the seven deadly sins that may or may not be something that you focus on necessarily with a typical examination of conscience. Um, it's a very short readable volume. So clocking it at under 200 pages. Um, and so we thought that it's a timeless title. It's something that we'll, we'll need each of us until the, until the end of our lives. So there is no better time than the present. Yeah, that's for sure. I was scanning through it and it goes through every deadly sin for uh, yeah, 12 to 15 pages and questions yeah. on each one that were just kind of like, uh, it really, really hits home at you. Do you argue too much? Are you looking for the last word? That was the pride one. Yes, exactly. It, it differs so much from our typical examination of conscience, which is usually based on the Ten Commandments, right? So very sort of legalistic exacting it's very easy to tell if you have sinned against a certain commandment and you can accuse yourself and very easily come up with number in kind but for the seven deadly sins it's a lot more difficult because these are so pervasive and they're so as the title suggests deeply rooted that they almost seem like personality traits or characteristics and they're often like how many of us go into the confessional and confess pride? Like, what does that even look like? How can you boil that down to number and kind to be even confessible? So that is what he's really trying to get you to do here. And he provides, like you said, these really in-depth questionnaires. So um, for each of the deadly sins and then within pride, because we'll go and discover that there are many types of pride. Um, he gives one for each type of pride. So 
you can ask yourself this right right in the book that's what i've been doing um and then talk about you know connect that to a sin that you can actually confess uh through prayer and thereby you know perfect yourself in ways that you didn't even know you were broken yeah then, yeah you ask about the confessional sins you just say <laughs> i sinned on pride you open up yeah. this thing it's like I said, uh, did you argue too much? You're looking for the last word. <laughs> are you sensitive? Are you distrustful? Uh, right, because a lot I, of these things like emotions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes it makes it a little bit more than just yeah. I screwed up on pride today. Well, how? Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. It gets to the root of why you are doing this, and I know Father Ripperger has often mentioned here on your channel that the the root of a sin is often disguised as something else. So. I thought that especially under pride, which of course he places first in the book because all of the other deadly sins really flow from pride. Um, he defines pride as as placing the self before God, right? And so you can see how any other sin, like lust, gluttony, would all obviously flow from that. But I, you know, we conceive of pride as just the typical arrogant pride, right? Um, but Father McElhone goes into the four different types of pride from which all the other sins stem. So the pride of superiority, that's your typical braggadocious, um, you know, just narcissistic individual who, you know, is very clear that pride is their problem. Um, but then there's also what's known as the pride of timidity. And here is what we see people who kind of let human respect run their lives. So being afraid to speak up, not being bold, um, valuing others' opinions above doing the right and the good. Um, that's also connected to the pride of sensitivity, which actually itself manifests often as depression or anxiety. Um, it's a, a distortion of the view of the self, but from the other end. So rather than thinking too highly of yourself, you think not enough of yourself. And it's kind of an inverted pride. Um, but that that's one of the ones where reading through the examine for the pride of sensitiveness is like this this doesn't seem like a sin but yes it is actually a manifestation of pride and woundedness um and that is one that's very connected to envy so <clears throat> uh the final type of pride is pride of complacency and that can also be defined as vanity so this is where the exaggeration of self is really for show. So, you know, social media is one where if you're not careful of looking at how you're acting on social media, it very easily um, corrupts what could be a good ministry into something that is pride of complacency, showing off, things like that. Um, so, yeah, many of these things we think are just actions that you undertake in your daily life. But when you go back to the root of why you are doing this, you can see that it maybe connects to a false love of self above God. You mentioned the uh, Twitter wars, or just being on Twitter, yeah. the slides. Do I waste time? Uh, you're on exactly. Twitter all day long, tweeting, <laughs> responding, checking out what are they eating today, or who's arguing <laughs> with who today. I think Twitter might check all seven boxes if that's possible some oh, days. Yeah. We won't, and Facebook doesn't get a pass either, but. No, 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 they're all. <laughs> yeah. Do I seek excuses for getting out of study in our work? Uh, do I make time to study? Do I, uh, do I tire easily when praying? Hey, this is just two pages of all the questions on just on sloth. And that's not even counting the before and after those two pages. Right. Exactly. And um, the chapter on sloth was interesting because it helped me to understand that 
Sloth is not just the typical laziness that we think of, but um, the the word that it comes from is acedia, which really speaks to this uh, just deeply rooted malaise and can often manifest as perfectionism. So we see when when you're reluctant to take action, that is the devil working within you because he's convincing you that you couldn't possibly do it correctly. So you might as well not do it at all. And that leads to paralysis in prayer life, um, in the moral life. And Father constantly reiterates that the first solution to rooting out any of these faults is prayer. And if it has to be, at the moment, imperfect prayer. So um, each, when we think of, of sloth, we almost tend to think, oh, that's probably not one of the worst deadly sins. But it, they can, the devil can get at you through each of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember when you saying that. I remember the first time doing a podcast. I, it took me like an hour before to get the right, record because right. I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> What are people thinking about me if I say this? Uh, mm-hmm. There was all this. You start thinking about all this. The Acedia, the it was a noonday devil. The noonday um, devil. That's right. I always think of that painting of, of the nightmare of someone like there's just demonic oppression. Um, just when you just are not compelled to act because inaction is itself an action. It's a choice. Yeah. And GK was GK Chesterton's great line of uh, anything we're doing is we're doing badly. That's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just give it. A, people ask, "What do you think I should do about that?" Just do it. Just try. It. Just get just out of the car it. is a first step. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Even you know, getting out of bed is is the first step. And um, uh, in the antidotes to each of these sins, Father McElhone emphasizes effort and trying, and how uh, this is a lifelong process of perfection. Um, but if we become too discouraged, then that actually becomes the sin of despair itself. And so you can see how sloth could be a way into that, but also each of these, if if we hold ourselves to the standards that we rightly should be, um, but then deem ourselves incapable, then um, we're back to square one and we're, we're oppressed by sin. So onward and upward. Here's a couple of questions on envy. Uh, do I envy his, the applause given to them? Do, do I envy, envy his virtues? Do I envy his practice of virtue? Do I envy his rule keeping, his prayerfulness? Uh, how many people get jealous of somebody getting, hey, good job on that. That was well thought of. Or say, man, that was right. my thought. Or I can't believe there were, you know, people are, you know, jumping on that guy's fan and fan page and not my fan page. Right, exactly. And I was shocked that because this was initially written for a religious community that um, even within a monastery, someone could be jealous of another's piety. And it's like, that's something that is very clear that should be just giving glory to God and gratitude. But no, like if um, if we're so centered on our, our own um, pharisaical, almost per- performative uh, living out of the faith, then we can feel others as threats. Um, Father also points out that envy can even sometimes cause us to try to get others to sin. So it's a sin against charity in that sense and can easily, in turn, violate the fifth commandment. I'm looking at the anger. I opened up the anger one and I looked right (laughs) at, am I sarcastic? Now that, my Mm. wife, that's our love language, sarcasm. Yes. So that's a... I'm, difficult one to swallow <laughs> yeah i mean I, that's it's, it's one of my virtues i thought so it's not a virtue <laughs> but try not to, now he means sarcasm as being a smart aleck back to somebody obviously not just you know like lying right. jokingly i'm, I'm assuming i'm hoping i'm opposed <laughs> not i think so it's, it's where it comes from the uh, anger can man. He he claims that anger is the one sin that destroys not only community spirit in a religious set, 
but also the family spirit and the just the core of the family. And if you think about it, it's true. Like if someone is sarcastic through irritability instead of through joy um, and, you know, they, these very small things like the tone of voice and the, the purpose behind your words, overly critical, those things are like death by a thousand paper cuts and can destroy the, the charity, which should be at the center of each community founded in God. Yeah, there's a line on the criticalness. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. I grew up with yeah, coaches uh, critically. They push you. It's their motivation on to make you better instead of being, right. oh, well, yeah, you're just going to stink at this because, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't want you to do good. It's a form of anger. Um, right. What other things stuck out from you in this? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of things that, stuck at, that stick out. I mean, going all day on avarice. I mean, do mm-hmm. I complain? I mean. What? <laughs> oh, do I complain? No, yeah. avarice is one of the last ones. Do I complain? Am, am mm-hmm. I detached? There's a lot of problems coming down in the world right now. Are you detached from losing things that you might have an eternal Lent coming up soon? Mm-hmm. Um, right. I Exactly. Well, one of the things that stuck out to me was how related to complaining, brooding and worrying can become a sin itself. And it reminds me of this this quote that I came across the other day from Jane Francis de Chantel. And she says, must you continue to be your own cross? No matter which way God leads you, you change everything into bitterness by constantly brooding over everything. For the love of God, replace all this self-scrutiny with a pure and simple glance at God's goodness. And that struck me in reading this book, because especially in these different manifestations of pride, um, you know, and, and the perfectionism, that we can corrupt almost anything into becoming uh, a vice. And when we think of uh, another, to use another, <laughs> another vice endemic to the online world, the whole manifestation, the phenomenon of LARPing, for example. So those who kind of deify a lifestyle or they, they extract one certain part of traditional lifestyle, for example, and place that as an idol. And then supernatural truths are kind of secondary or subordinate to that. So, you know, like health, for example. So there's another great Chesterton quote where he says, what is it? Those who worship health will never be healthy. Right. So if you health is an objectively good thing, right, just as traditional family and um, traditional lifestyle, these are objective goods. But if we place them as the idol at the center of our lives and God comes second, then even something that is from God and that is objectively good will be corrupted through the subversion of the natural order in that way. So it's a good reminder to um, not only embrace humility as the antidote to all of these, but also when you place God in his proper place, then the goods that flow from that will take on in your mind their proper places. So um, you won't love others for the sake of self. You'll love them for the sake of God and you'll uh, be able to develop a detachment from worldly goods um, that relates to avarice, of course, um, through their relationship to God instead of ends in and of themselves. So it's that ontological placement that really is at the root of each of these. And um, if you're able to constantly remind yourself, which is why one of the keys to solving any of these um, predominant faults is resolution. So repeating to yourself what the truth is, and eventually through force of habit, will, and prayer, um, you'll restore the proper supernatural order in your own heart. You were saying, talking about that, it reminded me of reading Dom Garanger earlier this week, which if you're not doing that out there and uh, YouTube world, I'm reading it into the channel. So I know there's a few hundred of you guys watching it. Uh, John, of the, John of God, 
uh, he writes about uh, philanthropy. And if you're doing it just for the sake of doing it, it's pretty much worthless. But if you're doing it with God in mind, like John of the, God and John of God was doing, then it's a gigantic virtue. You, you read it, you kind of got <coughs> Bill Gates <coughs> a little bit in there. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> yes. The great. Well, that's right. Any any system that promises a worldly utopia is lying to you because it's not possible we're fallen. That'll that'll only be in heaven. So. That reminds me actually of another book that I just read that was published by Sophia, which is a reprint of a biography of Peter Claver. Um, and he, of course, was known as the slave to the slaves. He uh, was stationed as a Jesuit in Cartagena um, in the, the height of the slave trade and was characterized by his humility. And the author points out that St. Peter Claver was not a humanitarian. He actually never spoke at once against the institution of slavery in his life, but instead he served the people in front of him and he administered to the salvation of individual souls. And that was interesting contrast between humanitarianism, which is focused on the big picture and sort of can lose sight of man for focusing on mankind. Yeah. Versus uh, like online donating to a cause when you don't know where it's going versus actually doing it. <laughs> right. Exactly. We're so atomized and uh, distanced from a lot of these charities where you don't even know if it's actually being not stolen, <laughs> first of all, if you're being defrauded. And then, uh, yeah, like the, the exercise of charity is just is so uh, pasteurized almost. So I love how at the end of the book, he gives them the faith, hope and charity, three big virtues. What? Right. Does he mention his motivation in that? So, yeah, so of course, as we know, each of the seven deadly sins has as its counterpart one of the virtues, and he does focus on some of the some of those more specific virtues, particularly fortitude, justice, and prudence, but his mention of faith, hope, and charity first as these cardinal virtues is really to inspire hope that um, if you are focusing on cultivating these three virtues, as your goal, then these predominant faults will disappear on their own. Um, so it's good to diagnose these faults. It's good to ask the Holy Ghost to reveal them to you so that you can grow in perfection. Um, but ultimately, it's it's like if you're if you think you're you're suffering some sort of demonic harassment, how confession is the ultimate antidote to that. It's it's the same way with practicing these uh, three main virtues that if you can't really put a finger on what exactly your faults are, you won't hurt yourself by practicing these virtues. It's, it's not possible to, <laughs> to go wrong in doing that. So he ends on, a, on an optimistic note after kind of dragging you through the coals with <laughs> all of these ways that you probably messed up every day. That's, uh, that's the thing of a good coach. You break them down to rebuild, uh, work it yes. out. You break down a muscle to build it up stronger. Uh, in a sense, the, build back better you have to break it down <laughs> to get better but not in a we're looking at it as a actual good way yes retake build back better exactly <laughs> what what's his uh uh take on the uh for uh the uh fortitude justice temperance what's what's uh what's some of the key things he took out of that yeah so for prudence that's sort of the first line of defense against um many of these sins that tend toward the concupiscible appetites, for example. So um, prudence is rooted in having the virtue of faith. And the um, if, if we can think of 
you know, lust and gluttony are obvious where prudence would be the clear antidote to temptations and that, um, but also sins against charity. So prudence in speech uh, can help to alleviate anger. Uh, we were talking about the criticisms and the tendencies to put others down and being judgmental. So, you know, back on social media, again, prudence and um, taking time to think about your words before they are um, come flying out of your mouth or <laughs> onto the keyboard are, um, can, can vastly improve, uh, your, your fight against those sins. Um, justice is, we, we think of justice, we think more in terms of worldly legal systems, but it's actually a moral virtue that, um, basically disposes the will to give everyone his due. So render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, render unto God what is God's. It, it helps us to, develop uh, a true sense of ourself. So it combats against pride in that way, because if we see ourselves as we really are in the supernatural and natural order, then we will not be prone to either flights of grandiosity or self-hatred. Um, and it also helps to combat envy because we recognize that God has made us uniquely. Um, and so our particular mission and our particular role is not something that's comparable to others, except for, um, I mean, there is a sort of healthy comparison in terms of virtue, but not destructive. Um, and then fortitude ultimately is for the perseverance in each of these virtues, because um, Father McElhone gives an analogy of um, building upon a parable of our Lord's of <clears throat> Um, many who are called to the garden, he says, there are saints here who are clearly living in sanctity. And then there's various gradations of sanctity under that. And the lowest who are called, because not everyone has even you know, picked up on the call, um, are those who recognize that they have these faults. They recognize what virtue is, but yet they're not putting in the effort and the fortitude to um, embrace that virtue and to move forward with, with doing the, the the difficult mortifications of self. So fortitude is what sustains us in our resolutions uh, against these sins. And it's also what helps us to, you know, not apostatize and <laughs> under tremendous pressure. And ultimately the call of every Catholic is martyrdom, whether we get away with white martyrdom, which most of us do these days, but ultimately we must be ready for red martyrdom if that is how God calls us. So practicing fortitude in the little things, um, and this is where fasting, of course, comes in to help mortification, to, to increase our, our boldness and our fortitude, will help us in that final grace of final perseverance, which, of course, we beg for in each Hail Mary. And just making the sign of the cross in a restaurant is could be fortitude or practice of it for some people. Yes, yes. And I found that the more you practice it, you, you grow in fortitude by practicing fortitude. And yeah, I can remember a time, especially during the, the COVID uh, scare, where even walking around and, you know, without a mask was something that people no, would... No, saying that M word on here, we get kicked off. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> you can delete it. Um, but, yeah, especially in terms of things with the faith, where, um, you know, it's easily to be insulated in a bubble. Uh, but when we walk out into the world and have to just take the nasty comments from others eventually they start to roll off your back and you're like okay i'm ready for some more persecution now <laughs> you're ready to sort of up level and um hopefully we won't get to that point but <clears throat> we'll be prepared what are some final thoughts anything we missed that uh that or i didn't touch on that you were hoping we would i think we mainly covered it the the i would say the main takeaway for this is that uh 
this examine is going to be difficult in that it requires a lot of humility from the participants. So when you're asking yourself these questions, you really have to almost psychoanalyze yourself to an extent, but also just be very open to God pointing out your faults, because if he points out your faults, it is for your good. And each of us has a predominant fault. Um, each None of us is above sin. So if you are sinning, you are sinning from a predominant fault. And it's better to know your enemy to be able to better combat him than to be ignorant of it. So <clears throat> as we know, the deadly sins, they, they do lead to hell and <laughs> for no other reason than um, for your own soul, the pursuit of these virtues is paramount, but also because these seven deadly sins sow discord in the community and also you know, in the church at large as the mystical body of Christ. So in um, fixing yourself in this way and in begging the grace to overcome your predominant fault, you are really serving the church at large, um, hopefully participating in your own salvation. And um, of course, the very, the very main reason honoring God. Conquer thyself. Know thyself first before you can do anything else. So the book's uh, Rooting Out Hidden Faults. It's on Sophia's Press website. I'll have the link. I'll have the link to the book underneath in the show notes. Again, underneath the video, drop down box, click. Link's right there. Bada bing. Kristen, thank you very much for coming on and talking about it. Thank you for having me, Steve. God bless.